Hello and welcome to the Headache Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Taves, your host. As always, on this podcast, it's our mission to educate and empower everyone with headaches and migraines so that you can break free from a life of fear of your next headache or migraine and dependence on medication. In this podcast, we're going to talk all about occipital neuralgia. We're going to talk about what you should know about occipital neuralgia so that when you receive that diagnosis, you are actually understanding, maybe to a greater extent than the actual provider that uh, gave you the diagnosis, but you're understanding what's actually happening. And it's always for the purpose of being able to treat it. Uh, We're going to talk about some self-treat techniques, so what you can actually do at home to help manage uh, occipital neuralgia. Uh, we're going to talk about what nerve pain actually is, the misconceptions around nerve pain, and especially misconceptions about occipital neuralgia. And then we're going to get it into the anatomy because the anatomy of the occipital or the suboccipital area is really kind of fascinating and interesting. Uh, and so let's hop right into it. All right. So first off, uh, occipital neuralgia, let's just talk about definitions. So occipital refers to the occipital lobe in your head, which is basically the backside of your head, uh, the bottom part of the skull back there, that uh, the suboccipital area occupies anything just below the base of the skull and the back part of the neck. And then neuralgia is referring to a nerve. So the uh, N-E-U-R, the nerve, neural, and then algia is referring to pain. So neuralgia, so pain within a nerve. That's all that word refers to. So occipital is just referring to location. And then neuralgia is describing the type of pain. So a neuralgia type pain is probably going to present with a burning, stabbing-like sensation. Nerve pain is typically characterized by burning, stabbing, and uh, sharp pains, okay? So if you have sharp burning or stabbing pain in the back of your head, top part of your neck, and maybe it shoots up to the back side of your head, wrapping up and around a bit, Sometimes it can be referred to as a ram's horn presentation. True occipital neuralgia probably won't travel the whole way. The nerve itself is just going to shoot up the back of the head. But if it's sharp, stabbing, burning, and uh, sometimes that'll be referred to as occipital neuralgia, you'll receive that diagnosis. Typically, it's going to be on one side. So just one side of the head will, um, one side of the back of the head will be impacted by this. Okay, so... If you've experienced or are experiencing occipital neuralgia, um, sometimes through our healthcare system, you might re- you, you might find that like a suboccipital release or traction or massage to that area are helpful. Oftentimes, patients will push back there uh, intuitively because they they know that there's some tension, there's some irritation in that suboccipital area. And what's interesting about the anatomy of that area of our neck is, uh, I mean, I talk about the biomechanics of C1 and C2 and how C1 is shaped like a donut. It sits on C2, which has this this thumb-like structure. And as we rotate, half of our rotation comes from C1 and C2. But what we haven't talked much about is the actual musculature within that area. So there's five different muscle groups. So we've got muscles on the right and on the left. So They've, they've got uh, the same function on each side. So there's going to be, let's say, 10 total. If we're taking five from the left and or five from the right, five from the left, those 
four of those muscles are little tiny muscles. So they only go a couple segments up or a couple segments down, meaning they might attach on the uh, C2 process and then they'll travel up into the base of the skull or they'll go from C1 and travel just to C2 and help with little rotation type movements. Uh, maybe they go from C2 all the way to the base of the skull and they're helping with extension or maybe a little bit of side bending. So these, these four muscles, these smaller muscles, so eight total, so four on each side, these are responsible for fine movements, smaller movements of the head, little tiny adjustments. The, the atlas sitting on the axis, allowing that rotation, uh, a few of these muscles are going to help assist in rotation in rotation just of C1 and C2, which is kind of interesting. I mean, when we think about general range of motion, we bring in the bigger muscles, like maybe even the upper trap, the sternocleidomastoid muscle, which is in the front of the neck, that one that oftentimes will squeeze and it'll refer pain to the ear. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm kind of gripping this muscle that runs along this, the front side of the neck. And so there's bigger muscles that help with general rotation, but these little suboccipital muscles known as the rectus capitis posterior major, if you want to look these up, rectus capitis posterior minor, and then we have the uh, semispinalis capitis, which is a bigger muscle that runs, uh, it's really a part of what we call our rector spinae, so they, they're like the backstrap muscles, so think of like uh, if, you, if you're a hunter uh, or if you have heard the term backstrap, it's just the, the thicker muscles on the back that uh, they do run from our sacrum all the way up to the base of our skull. And uh, in anatomy, they separate those and give them different names. So the semispinalis capitis is just referring to that part of that backstrap muscle that goes all the way up into the base of our skull. Um, and then we've got these muscles that run kind of obliquely, so at an angle, and we've got uh, the obliquus capitis superior inferior. So we've got the the these little tiny muscles again are helping with rotation, just little little fine movements, side bending, helps stabilizing the head. And the the reason we're talking about these is because individually, if there's dysfunction in this area, they can develop tension, which will be important in a moment. But the semispinalis capitis, which is this this bigger muscle that uh, runs, like I said, from the base of the skull, and it sort of morphs into a continuous muscle that goes all the way down uh, to our tailbone, to our sacrum, okay? So the muscle itself has this transition from muscle to tendon and then attaches into bone. The other thing that's happening in the backside of the head here is we have fascia, so there's a fascial line. Fascia is this thick tissue. It's uh, very resilient. It's resistant to change. And uh, if it's tight, it usually impacts movement uh, to a greater extent. And so the fascia is also important in this conversation. So we're just laying out all the different structures that could be impacting the nerve, okay? So the nerve itself... If we're talking about uh, the occipital nerve, there's actually um, there's actually three occipital nerves. So there's a greater, a lesser, and a third occipital nerve. Okay, so greater occipital nerve is actually going to run for for the context of occipital neuralgia. The greater occipital nerve is the most prominent, and it's the one that we're going to spend the most time discussing 
on this podcast because if you have occipital neuralgia, it's likely the one that uh, you're having issues with. So the greater occipital nerve, what's interesting is it travels through that suboccipital area, but it it also pierces that semispinalis capitis. So the semispinalis capitis muscle is one of the biggest muscles in the suboccipital area. Oftentimes when we're working on people in the clinic, they'll have tension or trigger points or spots within the semispinalis capitis muscle. You can think of this muscle as extending your head. If your head is in a forward position, this muscle is having to do more work. This muscle can also do things like a side bend or rotate. There's different fibers of it that are oriented in that way. But for the most part, it's going to act as an extender. It's going to help us extend our head and our neck. But with a forward head position, it's just going, uh, oftentimes we find it, it's irritated because we're asking it to do this um, little, a little amount of work, meaning it's just holding our head in that position. So it doesn't have to work too hard, but for a long period of time. And what we know about muscles is some muscles are intended to do that, the, the low load for a longer period. But the semispinalis capitis is, um, is to some extent a postural muscle, but it's a bigger muscle. And so it's likely going to be uh, utilized in bigger movements. And as we look at the spine and how we're intended to be standing or the neutral position of the, of the spine, if our head is in a forward posture with uh, looking at a computer or whatever uh, our day um, causes us to be in that forward head position, our semispinalis capitis is going to have to do more work. And the greater occipital nerve pierces right through that. Okay. So why would, why would a nerve have pain? So that's, that's one of the big questions when it comes to occipital neuralgia. Hey guys, if you are listening to this podcast, the chances are you have headaches or migraines and you're searching for relief outside of medication. Well, maybe you've tried different products on the market or devices, traction units, things like that, but they haven't really scratched that itch and provided you with the relief you're looking for. Well, what we've done here at Novera is taken the principles that we teach and abide by in our in-person care and come up with a product that allows you to apply those same pressures and improving mobility to the upper part of your neck at home. You see, it's called the SAM device, Simple Affordable Migraine Relief. And the device allows you to improve mobility to the upper part of your neck. And we are excited to announce that it's available today on our website. Visit NoveraHeadacheCenter.com. Click on the SAM device page where you can look at videos and learn more about the SAM product and purchase it for yourself and start treating your headaches and migraines more naturally without medication. Again, that's NoveraHeadacheCenter.com and click on the SAM device page to purchase your very own SAM device today. Nerves are designed to transmit information from one tissue to another, okay? There's two different types of nerves, two different types of sig signals. We have afferent and afferent, okay? E or, I'm sorry, efferent and afferent. So, efferent is the signal from the brain going to a tissue. So, that's like telling your bicep to contract. Your brain sends a message to the bicep muscle, your bicep contracts. Afferent is like a sensory input. So an afferent signal would be 
a sensation of pain, of burning, of sharp stabbing, of, of dull, of vibration. And that input is sent, let's say, through the skin or these other tissues and the brain picks it up. So efferent is traveling away from the brain. Afferent is, afferent is traveling towards the brain. So E and A, efferent, afferent. All right, so nerves are intended to just transmit those signals. So what should our body be doing and how does our body feel? What should our body do, be doing? How does it feel? Uh, that's, that's the role of the nerve. It's kind of like um, if you think of the electrical circuits, the wiring in your house, they're transmitting signals or at least a, a source of energy through them. So they're conductors. The nerves are kind of the same way. They're sending a signal and then when the signal reaches the brain, we're able to decipher what's happening. We've talked about that in another podcast. It's really important to understand because the brain deciphering what's happening is where a lot of this confusion comes from when it comes to head pain and actually having a neck problem. Okay, but the nerves are intended to transmit the information. So they're not really intended to be the problem themselves. Like, obviously, uh, any, any structure in our body can have an issue with it. But the nerves are mainly intended to transmit signals like pain to tell our brain if, if like a muscle's been injured or if we've been cut, something like that. But sometimes the nerves themselves can actually be generating uh, the pain. And that's where we get that sharp stabbing burning sensation. So why would a nerve do that? Because that's what we're talking about with occipital neuralgia. We're talking about the nerve actually being the source of pain. So all those muscles we talked about earlier in that suboccipital area, um, they can, they potentially can present with a burning like pain, but probably not sharp and stabbing. Uh, so there's different types of symptoms that we're going to put in the nerve category. So why would the nerve have a problem? There's a few different reasons why a nerve would have an issue. One is that it's inflamed. So inflammation around the nerve is going to sensitize the nerve itself. Okay. So we have these things called cytokines, and they're just the little messengers that show up whenever there's a problem, and they tell our body to signal pain, all right? There's a problem, there's pain, there's these cytokines, and so the nerve itself isn't necessarily going to be an issue unless there's inflammation around it, okay? Now, if the nerve doesn't have enough space, so the nerve should actually glide through our body. So I use the example of the wiring in your house. The wiring in your house is not dynamic because your walls don't move. Uh, at least hopefully they don't move. But our body is dynamic. And so in order for our nervous system to accommodate to positions that our arm is lengthened and positions where our arm is shortened, there has to be some slack within the system within our nervous system, within the peripheral nerves, within these nerves that run from our neck all the way down to our fingertips, okay? So if there's not enough space, meaning there's tension, there's muscles that are contracted that surround this nerve that are then occupying the space that the nerve should have, or maybe we've trained our body to not move, we've lost that available uh, movement or laxity that should be in that peripheral nerve because we just haven't used it. In physical therapy school, the term or the saying, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, was very common. And it's this idea of the body adapting 
both to like good stress and then the absence of stress. Okay. So adaptively shortening. So the nerve will have tension through it. And, uh, we've talked, uh, I, I believe it's been a while, but we've talked about neural tension. So this idea that the, the nerve is actually tighter than it should be. And then the other reason would be hypersensitivity. So there's actual, uh, the brain is actually perceiving the nerve as having a problem. It's being hypersensitive to something that shouldn't actually be causing pain. It's called central sensitization or hypersensitivity, which can be common with someone that presents with migraine symptoms. So Western medicine model would say, well, you have nerve pain, so we need to treat the nerve itself. You have a nerve problem. If you're presenting with sharp stabbing, shooting pain in the back of your head that wraps up just a bit, that would be inflammation in your greater, greater occipital nerve, and we need to inject that nerve with some sort of like steroid or anti-inflammatory. We need to calm that down. We need to calm the inflammation down. The problem is that it's assuming that the nerve has a problem in isolation. Like the nerve spontaneously just presents with this inflammation and then stopping the inflammation is is stopping the problem. Now to be direct and to inject the nerve itself intuitively might feel like the right thing to do, but we have to ask the question why. We have to keep asking the question why because that allows us to actually get to the underlying problem of, of what likely is happening, which then provides us with a solution, right? So what's more likely happening? If you have a forward head position, so we have these five different muscle groups, four of those little tiny guys that are helping this these subtle movements in the upper part of the neck, and then this bigger guy, the semispinalis capitis, where that greater occipital nerve is running through and up the back of the head. So if you have a forward head position, not only is that bigger muscle having to do more work like we talked about, but those little tiny guys are constantly in this state of having to hold the head back in extension, all right? Now, the normal sort of ebb and flow of the muscle itself will be contract and relax. The normal cycle a muscle wants to go through, it needs to relax, it needs to contract. Now, oftentimes, we have a problem relaxing because we're stuck in one position, and that's very true when you have a forward head position. All these muscles can get kind of aggravated because they're constantly shortened and contracted and having to do work, and we're not stretching them and relaxing them like we should. We're not training them how to even relax because we don't put ourselves into a posture, a position that allows them to relax. So the tension through the suboccipitals will increase, or that semispinalis capitis will increase. Now, because of the anatomy of where that greater occipital nerve runs, there's a few things that could be happening. One is just irritation or inflammation from the, the muscles or the joints in that area because they're not getting the proper movement. They're not getting this dynamic, normal cycle of, of muscles and joints. There's, there's likely going to be some level of inflammation or tension that's developed in that area that can sensitize the nerve so that inflammation can impact the nerve itself or just the lack of available space causing these, these muscles to uh, tighten up. We lose mobility. We start to, to move in, in dysfunctional ways. Well, that's also going to impact the nerve. So the nerve needs to be dynamic and move with us. Well, if we don't move the way we should, the nerve will then tighten up. So the nerve can present uh, with some issues because of that. So does that mean we inject the nerve? You know, typically not. What it means is we have to infuse movement into that specific area of our head and our neck. 
Okay. So very simply, what it can look like is standing up more. So sitting can be an issue. Sitting with our head forward. Uh, on the the podcast I recorded a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the in the study, the group that had the standing desk just stood for an hour more each day, and they reduced their low back, mid back, neck pain by 50%. It was substantial. So just standing more can have a huge impact because standing, especially active standing, rather than shifting onto one hip, but having your weight through both feet, unlocking your knees, active standing is going to naturally put you in a better position where your head can be on top of your shoulders. The actual skeletal structure of your spine can do the work instead of these suboccipital muscles having to work really hard to hold your head up with that forward head position. The other thing you can do throughout the day, so if your head's stuck forward and that suboccipital area is really tight and sensitive, I want you to just slide your chin back like it's on a table, okay? So your head's going to go straight back. You're going to feel a little bit of a stretch in that suboccipital area that we've been talking about, and all those little tiny muscles are going to be able to breathe and relax, okay? Because you're telling them to stretch, and they're probably not going to be very used to it. You might have some sensitivity, might even be a little bit painful or feel like your headache, but you want it to feel like a therapeutic thing, like it's like it's really helping. It's an area that needs to be stretched. So you're going to glide your head back, tuck your chin. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, I'm doing that so you can have an example. That's one of the simplest things you can do. And just do it throughout the day. Do it every 10 minutes. Whenever you think about it, just stand up straight. Maybe pull your shoulders back. Glide your head back. Tuck your chin. Give those suboccipitals a break. It'll give that that nerve the space it needs. It'll free it up. That nerve will be able to uh, relax itself, meaning inflammation from the tension, from the lack of movement, from the dysfunction in that suboccipital area uh, can start to improve. And uh, the nerve itself, that burning, stabbing uh, type pain uh, from the nerve itself uh, can improve. The other thing to do is to get hands-on in-person treatment. So whenever someone comes in with one-sided pain that starts in the base of the skull and wraps up and around, uh, that's that's like a most of the time, that's going to be relatively easy to treat. So straightforward, we get relief um, within a couple of visits, and then we're just running through a plan of care, seeing progress uh, with, with every treatment session that someone comes in. But if you have this suboccipital tension built up and you're feeling that sharp stabbing pain in the back of the head and you've been diagnosed with occipital neuralgia and you're tired of getting the injections and you feel like there's something more to that, first off, I want you to start moving and standing more. But second, I want you to find a provider or reach out to us so that we can help you, uh, whether it's in person or virtually, we, we just want to get that space moving. And oftentimes it takes a little bit more umph to apply, like applying these hands-on techniques, addressing the actual nodding motion. So the head sitting on the first bone should nod and people have lost that. And then C1 and C2 should rotate. People have lost that. So just freeing up that suboccipital area, restoring mechanics to the upper part of the neck is a great way to give those occipital nerves uh, the the breathing room that they're looking for and reduce the irritation and inflammation level uh, within those suboccipitals and the greater occipital nerve, leading to a more impactful, more holistic, and uh, getting at the actual origin of these symptoms when it comes to occipital neuralgia. 
So there you go. There's a, a snapshot of, and hopefully provides you with a better understanding of what's happening with occipital neuralgia and what to do about it. It does not mean by any means that you just need to be stuck going to the neurologist and getting injections. Okay. So there's very reasonable ways to treat occipital neuralgia. It doesn't mean that your nerve uh, is the problem and that a physical therapist can do nothing about that. Definitely not. Okay. So our body is longing for us to be dynamic and to move. And oftentimes that's just the basic principle that we're teaching people. And you, if you apply that and you understand your body well enough to apply that in specific ways so that you're understanding your pain, you're giving your body what it needs, you can find the relief you're looking for. And oftentimes it's, uh, it's even on your own. It's this self-empowerment. And that's what we're all about on this podcast is helping you live your life free of fear of your next headache or migraine and dependence on medication so you can thrive in everything you do. If you enjoy this podcast, if you feel like this information is valuable, I want you to write us a five-star review and I want you to share it with someone that you know that has headaches or migraines because we are on a mission, okay, my entire career. I will not give up. We're on a mission to get the word out that headaches and migraines uh, there's this underlying neck problem, okay? And this neck problem needs to be addressed and it's just not being addressed. If you wanna help us in that mission, um, please share, give us a five-star review and uh, help us grow that way. Thank you so much for listening to the Headache Doctor Podcast. I'll see you next time. Hey guys, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the Headache Doctor podcast. I know that you have a lot of options and how you spend your time and how you consume information around headaches and migraines. I just wanted a quick ask because the only way that we grow this podcast and continue this mission is if you subscribe, share this podcast, and of course, leave us a five-star review. Those are cherished and it makes my day when I see someone's story come through as a five-star review and how this podcast podcast has been able to help you. Thank you so much again for listening to the Headache Doctor podcast, and I'll see you next week.